0: you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. And for those who said, hey, you forgot the Lord's Prayer, I didn't, actually, because we are getting into the section that has to do with the Lord's Prayer. And so for the next number of weeks, we are going to be praying the Lord's Prayer as our prayer into the sermon, because we're going to be looking at it uh, every week for for the next, uh, well, probably until Advent. So um, will you guys pray the Lord's Prayer with me? This is Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your, hev- and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so today we are confronted with a really interesting questions that we should be wise to ponder. We should be wise to ponder whenever we give, whenever we pray and whenever we fast, we should be wise to ponder. Who are you being holy for? This act that you're doing out of holiness, out of righteousness, who are you doing this for? Or it, from whom do you seek approval? Do we seek it for ourselves? Do we seek it for from other people to recognize that what we do or and what we are good? And as we look at this particular section, this has to do with our money. This section of Matthew starts with almsgiving and then moves into prayer. And then it moves into fasting and then it also comes back around to treasures as well. So all of these can be done in a way where your attitude brings attention to yourself. Like, <clears throat> look at look at what I'm doing. But uh, as we practice our faith in Jesus, these three acts that we have are ways that we can worship and acknowledge God's presence in our lives and, and show that we are placing our trust in him as we give and as we pray and as we fast. So we will get to prayer and fasting in the weeks to to come but today we're going to focus on financial giving or alms giving and I've been in churches where only the top tier level of people get thanks letters of thanks written they get special treatments or preferential treatment to those who give big dollars above and beyond what other people are done. Like I've seen it to where special dinners or lunches or breakfasts are offered where insider information is given and in an attempt to elicit more money and to just kind of keep the top donors happy to honor the, those who give, uh, the most. And, uh, the recognition for that is in the invite in the letter in the in the dinner there you know people spending money to do this but there are those in each congregation that that i've seen where that takes place that probably give more uh, percentage wise than the top donors do like the widow's might the widow who goes and gives everything she has to god but she's not honored because it's only like two pennies but then this guy who comes and gives a hundred thousand dollars he would be honored And I don't want to take away from anyone's generosity. That's not, I don't think what this scripture is doing, but I've never felt comfortable in, especially in church settings, especially in, in when we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about grace for rewarding somebody for their gift that they give to God. Again, it comes down to this, this scripture. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I've been in places also that run on donations. We all have, right? Where people have their names on the walls, right? Have you seen this? Or on the bricks of the building to honor it, or maybe even have the building named after them to acknowledge their donation. The bigger the donation, the more prominent the name. And every time I've ever been in a place where I've seen these lists of people's names and their names attached to a, a specific tier of donations, I can't help but wonder what the motivation for giving was. I just can't help it. I'm not trying to judge them. I'm just like going, what? why, why would you need your name on this wall? And in every category though, if you look at these, in most categories at least, you see the name anonymous. And as we who uh, we get to be with Jesus and we get to give to him. Um, uh, We get to be the ones who are like these people, the anonymous donors. This is the ones who give and give much or give little, give what the Holy Spirit's asked. And when we give, we give to Jesus and let him steer our directions and our motives for giving, not the need for a name on a plaque or the, the, uh, the accolades in and of themselves. So, I love that it is Matthew who is teaching us the words of Jesus on this topic, right? Matthew, who was a former tax collector. So if we were uh, in in a tax collector was a Jewish man who collected taxes for the occupying Roman government. Matthew's salary was collected from an overage charged on, on top of the taxes that the Romans required. So many tax collectors in the day gained much wealth from overcharging their fellow brothers and sisters, and then were then ostracized by the Jewish community as somebody who's just being corrupt and taken a part of this corrupt system. And so if you and I were Jewish people in this day, Matthew is the last person you'd ever want to hear this from. You just, you don't want to hear about money. Don't talk about money, Matthew. I remember where you came from. I remember who you're, Who who you were, and I remember the time that you overtaxed me and my family. We'd have a hard time trusting Matthew's words, maybe even his motives in whatever he's talking about money. But Matthew was also someone who would have had to have his view on money changed by Jesus he would have had to have his money changed by Jesus. Remember, we we can we can know this and we haven't gotten here in in the gospel of Matthew yet, but Matthew was one who when Jesus said, "Get up and follow me," he left the tax booth at once and followed Jesus. It says immediately he followed Jesus. So he certainly had his view changed on money by just simply following Jesus. These words, he would have remembered these words more than likely because of the conviction of his heart over topic. How many of us remember sermons better when the Holy Spirit did something in our hearts for, right? For years and years and years past that we can remember. I remember sermons from when I was a kid because of what God did. I remember words and songs that we sung from when I was much younger and that God was doing something. And I believe that's what's happening here in Matthew. Or this was an area where Jesus spoke to Matthew and he remembered it the most. He remembered it most. Matthew talks about money a lot. He talks about, in his gospel, he talks about money a lot. And I believe that Matthew would have been repentant from his tax collecting ways. And he would have changed the way that he viewed and used his money because of him simply following Jesus. And I also believe Matthew's report about Jesus' words about money. I believe that they're trustworthy and true because of this. Matthew wants us to learn the same things that he himself had learned. And so he starts off this section on practicing our righteousness before others. And one of those righteous deeds was giving to the poor. He says, beware. Beware. Watch out. Pay attention to what's going on here. Pay attention to yourself when you give and when you pray and when you fast, make sure that you're checking your head and your heart and your motives. And then, and then not only that, but this idea of beware means be on the lookout, be on the lookout for the pitfalls that can come with giving. Okay. Be on the lookout and be on guard against it. Obviously, obviously, If you think about it this way, those who blew the trumpets and would have given, hey, I'm giving. You know, Jesus was sitting back and he was sitting back and he also noticed and pointed out when the widow gave as well, didn't he? He noticed it. He saw it. It was in a public place, just like so we have this giving jar. If you give there, people can see this. That's not, it's not saying, it's saying do this in secret, but we need to beware that that's not why we're doing it. We're not doing it to get those rewards. Some might have, we might give in a wrong way. Like, so we have to ask ourselves, why do we do this? This is a good question to ask every time. Why do we get to give? Why do we give? Do we give to get from God? Saying, I'm going to sow mine so that it'll just come back to me in abundance. There are people who do that. I'm not, I'm not faulting anybody. And I'm not saying I do or don't fall in any of these categories. Do we do this? Do we give to get from him? Do we give to prove to God, like how worthy we are before him? Like, what are the reasons why we give? There are sometimes, uh, we talked about this in weeks past, where we do get so much benefit from following God. I've, I've, and it's such a beautiful thing. But we can also give in a way where we're giving because we trust him. No, God, hey, we're worshiping you with this money. We don't need to be recognized or appreciated. It's just enough knowing that you know that I'm doing this. And and, do, and not only that, but Lord, I pray that you will just use this, right? And sometimes we can give to be a help. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I believe it's good as long as we don't, we're not, the, again, the needer for recognition or being the helper. As long as we're okay with God being the one who gets the credit and the glory to go along with this. The first hearers of Jesus' words and the first readers of Matthew's words would have known about religious duties. And these religious duties, I'm just going to, this section names three of them, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So I've long said and believed that things like tithe were presupposed in the New Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament that suggests that we need to give 10%. And yet the Old Testament suggests and lays out how you're to conduct yourself with giving, even how much you gave, how much uh, property you set aside so that others can glean. And, and this would have been uh, a thing that those in the New Testament would have presupposed. It just would have kind of been on there. Like, okay, he says here, beware of practicing your righteousness. Well, when we practice our righteousness, these are certain things we do. I can say this without offending anybody. We get to pray. We get to pray, do this in our secret closet, do this in ourselves, do this corporately. We're not doing it to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Jesus. We also get to do this with our giving and our fasting as well. So money at the, in the Old Testament would have been collected at the temple. The money would have been used to do a few things. It would have been used to take care of the salary of the priest so that they could take care of their family and focus on the corporate gathering uh, of worship. They also would have entrusted the priest to give to the poor as needed. And the priest would then disperse the collected funds into the community where it's most needed. They would know the needs it'd be on top of the needs, and then they would disperse it where it was needed and then the money would be used to take care of things like maintain the facility so like so if the the temple didn't fall in disarray, or even the the local synagogues wouldn't fall in disarray, so they would have been in charge of uh maintaining the the facility and these were the things that were were carried into this idea, and these are the things that in today we can see that they have. I'll say this, a few th- notes on this. Uh, uh, I have no problem with a pastor or priest or whatever title they're giving that makes a living wage. This is dependent on where they live. This is dependent on where they good. I'm not, I am not personally. And more importantly, I don't think the new Testament teaches the prosperity gospel where the pastor has to make top dollar. I've been in these churches too, where pastor has to make the most cause he's the most blessed, the most, the closest to God, and there is a way that uh, when taking care of a pastor can be overboard. I believe it can be overboard, and um, I don't think that the New Testament teaches that it needs to be overboard. But I also don't think that the New Testament teaches the poverty gospel. To preach the gospel or to teach or you know to to put on a worship service, you don't have to. It doesn't require a vow of po- poverty. Usually. In churches that I've seen, it's either one or the other. It's it's prosperity gospel, either in word or at least in practice, or it's like poverty, oh, you just need to be as poor as you can just to be amongst the poor. God um, it, it, God tells us that we're going to be amongst the poor. We get to interact with those in poverty, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to become with a vow of property. And as the apostles planted churches all throughout uh, as they spread from Jerusalem and planted all, all throughout the church, planters, the apostles, talked a lot about what to do with your money. Again, presupposing that money was coming in, and they also let each community and congregation determine what was practiced in terms of what this can look like in their context. In their context, so First Timothy was a letter that Paul wrote. And it was a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was leading a young church. And he says this in 1 Timothy uh, 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, when he's talking about this, he's talking about money, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then it also, and the laborer deserves his wages. But then preceding this, Okay, before we just focus in on that part, pre- preceding this, Paul says that the elder also must not be a lover of money. An elder doesn't preach and teach for the motivation of money. It is not, it's, it, it's not the uh, reason why to do that. And believe me, I've been in churches where pastors, they, they think that everything is owed to them as far as money. But it's also for taking care of the needs of the poor. This is an also this is another thing that money is to be used for in the churches. Churches in the Old Testament would have been responsible for the dispersal of funds that are to be given. So and they, that means they would have been in the community, they would have known, they would have seen, they would have recognized. And maybe even some people, um, some people wouldn't have said anything, but they just know, like, okay, hey, like, I went to your house in winter and the power wasn't on. Okay, so something's going on here and they they would have known this. And those who uh, were in need will look different in every single context. So the way that they are taken care of will look different in every single context as well. Jesus in Matthew 5 taught us that those who ask from us, we give. It is not specific about the motivation of the asker or the motivation of the poor, as it is, it's not as specific as it is for the pastors and priests who disperse the funds. Like, pastors and priests don't be lovers of money. It doesn't say that for those who ask. Maybe it's presupposed, but although it's good and right to use wisdom when handing out funds. And it's good and right to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance on how to disperse the funds to the poor. And at the end of the day, though, we are to be obedient. We are to be obedient and giving. And B, um, I, have, uh, I have given to, I think not only, I'll say this as a church, we have given to organizations that we check out, we vet, we trust them. But we've also given to certain things or certain people where the Holy Spirit's just asked us to. And I don't know if they did what they were supposed to do with their money. And yet we were just obedient with that. Now that's not common, but it is one of those things where it has happened. And although tithing might not be taught in the New Testament, you know what is? Generosity. It's taught over and over and over again that we as uh, individuals and as a group get to be generous with our money. Not just our times and our talents, with our money. I would suggest, and it implies that at times, even more than 10% that is required in the Old Testament, even more is required when we are to be generous But when we're giving, in this way, we're showing that we trust God, that we trust in his generosity, and that we trust that his good gifts and provision will never run out. And as far as taking care of the meeting place, this is uh, necessary to facilitate corporate gatherings. And it doesn't, doesn't matter how much, like it could take place in homes, when we met in our home, like, we paid our rent and we just had people meeting in our, in our home. And so, uh, but we also took care, took care of it in that way. Uh, Not the church, but we personally, and we just had people there in a rented space like this one. Like we rent this space from the school and we have, I think it's like four years now that we've done this. Or if it's in a building that churches own, whatever it looks like, it's good to provide a space for corporate gathering. It's good. and, And again, if we think, well, I, I do think that when we gather, we're doing this worship, it's world making, it's changing our world, it's changing our lives, and it's good to do this together. And so if there is a building that should be maintained, we get to maintain it. If it's a rented one like this one, we honor the school who we rent from, and we, it's not ours, so we don't go around, this is kids, this is why we don't go around playing with all the toys, right? This is why we go around respecting their stuff because it's not ours. And if we break it, we replace it. And we, as renters, are the ones who get to be flexible and honor the school, uh, regardless of how they treat us. And they treat us well. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if we owned a building, we would need to maintain it so it doesn't fall apart, so it's not shabby, it's not do, it's not dirty. We get to be good stewards with it. We don't have to be fancy about it. But if if a church building is huge and much is spent on it. Uh, we don't need, to, we were talking about this before service, we don't need to fault that church for that. We don't know how much they're giving to the poor or what they're doing with their finances. If they have a big building, and because there are big churches, I'm not, I'm not, personally, I don't think the New Testament is pro-big church or pro-small church. Like, I know we're a small church. I read a book this last week that was so pro-house church that... Um, it's like, well, there's other forms of church. It's okay. Other people can do other things. And so, um, and, and, but when you have a facility, you need to take care of it. And so, but it doesn't come at the expense of giving to the poor, or, or I, I would say it doesn't come at the expense of uh, taking care of the, the pastors. I'm not saying you have to have a, a large staff, but sometimes a lot of these churches that are bigger, maybe they're just wealthier and they're just good at it. Maybe percentage-wise, they might actually give more away than even we do. And so if this goes, um, I pray that whether little or much is made of us, and this goes um, for our finances as well, that we will trust and honor God and serve Him, whether we have little or whether we have much. We can give, that we remain faithful, that we walk with God in these ways, that we can look at Him. And I think it's right to spend some time Thinking about, talking about money, when it comes up, it's go- and it, again, it's going to come up a lot in Matthew. The, the thing that I find interesting is the Lord's Prayer is surrounded by talk about money and talk about treasure, right? Here's your money, here's your stuff. Jesus cares how we treat and how we think about our stuff and our money. He, he does care what we do with it. More than that, what we think about it and how we act in regards to it. Jesus cares about our motives and our, and our desires. He cares about these things. We can say things like, all the gold in the world won't solve my problems. And we know intrinsically that that's true. Like sometimes you can give somebody money and it just accentuates their problems. Or I know money isn't the answer, right? As we're diving into spiritual things. But do we really feel this way? Uh, if just for myself, I, I think that money wouldn't hurt, I guess. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt in certain things. But do we feel this way? See, we can be tent uh, can we be content with where Jesus has us? He has you and me in a certain place. Can we be content? Because our loyalty doesn't lie with ourselves. It doesn't lie with our 401k, our bank account, our retirement fund, or our future. We don't need to neglect these things. We should use wisdom with these things. But we also get to trust Jesus for all things and be obedient to him above all. If Jesus asks us to do something with our money, even if we deem it foolish, we get to be reminded that Jesus is our king. Our approval doesn't rest in... uh, our approval uh, rests in his body being given for us on the cross and his blood spilled for us. And I, I don't, uh, it, uh, we don't need to be reminded of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood for us to be, feel manipulated into a gift. I feel like at times they're like, well, Jesus suffered, so suffer with your wallet. That's not what this is saying. We at, get to be reminded of whom we belong to our entire life belongs to Jesus and our money is a part of that we belong to Jesus all that we are all that we have and all that we value is fo- found in Christ and in Christ alone in this we get to beware as this sermon or as this text says beware that of that Jesus uh, the words that Jesus gives us about our money. In this, he also reminds us not to be hypocrites. A hypocrite is one who is a pretender. And we can pretend our motives, we can pretend to have pure motives and act out of what we're pretending to do, or we can act out of trust. Jesus, and same thing for singing, same thing for praying, same thing for fasting. We can, we can, um, We can give to Jesus, but he's the only one who knows our hearts. The original word for actor was this word hypocrite. Are we acting like we trust God or do we really trust him? This is a good question. We can see that all that we can give And we can all give and fast and pray. Doing all these things can help aid us as we walk with Jesus. These are all very good things. I would suggest that they are as close to requirements as grace will allow. Right? We won't ever do them perfectly. However, we still get to do them to honor, to serve, to stay connected to the will that Jesus has for us. We can do all these things without anyone knowing our true motivation. Y'all can see me preach every single week. And I can tell you my motivation is pure, but Jesus really knows. I strive to have integrity, so I'm not lying or acting or pretending in any sort of way. And we can all be as sincere as possible, but we get to be aware, we get to pay attention, even to ourselves, that God is the one who knows and judges our hearts. We can't be concerned about the motivations of others. We have a hard time sorting this out for ourselves, don't we? There is a wrong way to pray. There is a wrong way to give. There's a wrong way to fast. If we do these things so that others may see us, when this is to be between you and Jesus, again, I don't know your motivations. You can't see mine either. But we can know and trust in Jesus' motivations for his life for us. Jesus is going to talk to us about a lot of things in life. Jesus asks us for a lot of things in life. He asks for our money. And you know why? Not because He needs the money, but because He wants us to trust Him. Psalm 50 that we started off our service with, we start off our service with the beginning. It also lets us know in there that if God was hungry, you know who He's not coming to? You and me. If God needed shelter, you know who He's not coming to? You and me. If God needed rescuing, he's not coming to you and me. God owns it all. He is wealthy beyond anything. It says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows when to give. He knows when to wait with his gift. For us, God asks us to trust him in those things. And he knows, uh, he knows one uh, powerful way that we can do this. And to trust him is with our money. We may be able to fool others. We can't fool God. Amen. I, I love this part about God. He is testing us. He's constantly engaging our heart and seeing where, where we're at. He tests our faith in him as we deal with our money because God knows that money back then in those Bible times and all throughout history, money, riches, wealth, that this is one of the world's great idols. This is one of the world's great idols. One of the great fears that we have as well and tempted to give into that fear is that God's not going to take care of us. That God's not going to provide for us. And God is saying that whether you have a lot or you have little, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Or is this idol greater than your obedience to me? So you know what we get to do? We lay it down. We give knowing that God is using us And Jesus gave it all for us. We are awaiting his kingdom once and for all. May it come, Lord Jesus, may it come soon. A kingdom where, I I love this, he gives us a picture where the streets are paved with gold and mansions and even cities are given to his children. Not to actors, not to hypocrites, but those who are really his. And he will be the one who will be able to tell us apart. The good news of Jesus is this, that if we've been acting, we can come to him, we can repent in sincerity. We can say, Jesus, look, I've been acting. I don't really want to be this way. If we don't know how to act with sincerity, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us, as will those around us if we ask. Jesus doesn't doesn't remind us of the areas where we screw up to point out that we've been wrong or to point out like just the blessings. Jesus is inviting us to repent and come into the grace that he has provided for us. This is the good news of Jesus. He wants us to know that he sees when we're acting and he sees when we're sincere. And for the areas where we are acting, Jesus died for us. He takes away our sin. He takes away the areas that we messed up and in place for that, he gives us his life. And in the areas where we're not acting, you know what? We can never act as purely and holy as he did. And Jesus died for us. He takes away that sin. He uh, he takes away the areas where we don't do it perfectly. And in place for that, he gives us his life. We know this as followers of Jesus. The the book of Matthew uses the word disciples. It isn't always easy being a disciple of Jesus. But it is good. And there is grace at the feet of Jesus. And I pray, and I, I pray this for each and every one of us here, that we won't be acting in our life before Jesus. That we'll be sincere. That we'll live in the light of his face and live in the sincerity in his truth and we can walk with him. And this includes the area of our money. So Jesus, I come before you. You're the mighty one. You're the Lord. You speak and summon the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Lord, I pray that you will not be silent as it comes to us and our money and our truth. Lord, if we are hypocrites, I pray that we will repent. If we're acting in righteousness, please let it not be self-righteousness, just let it be holy before you. In Jesus' name, amen.